tonight on Arena. Neve Regan sings live in studio and we look back at 25 years of Larry David's Curb Your Enthusiasm. You can text us on 51551, tweet at RTE Arena or you can live stream the show at rte.ie forward slash arena. The 24-hour play will soon be returning to the Abbey Theatre for the 11th annual presentation in aid of Dublin New Theatre. These are six short plays written, rehearsed and presented all within 24 hours by the best of Irish writing and directing talent and over two dozen of Ireland's most recognised and beloved stars of stage and screen. A team of over 30 theatre technicians, including producers from the 24-hour play in New York, will facilitate the work. The plays will be on for one night only on Sunday the 14th of January and I'm joined now by three of the stars that will be taking part in them this year. Michael Fry, Hannah Mamelis and Angus Ogue McAnally. You're all so very welcome. Hello, nice having <laughs> Now, we're a little more than a, a week away from the show and not a word has been written. So, Michael, you're going to be part of this. You've mm-hmm. never done this before. No. What do you think lies ahead? I, I am nervous about it because I'm not a traditional actor. I've come from the internet, so I'm going to be surrounded by people who are very talented and have won awards in this area and stuff like that. So I'm going to come in and, and be very, very new to every part of it. So I'm a performer, uh, but there are writers and directors as well. And what do you know about it? What, what do you know that you'll be asked to do? So I have been asked to bring in a prop, a costume, uh, mention something that I've never done on stage that I want to do, and then something, a special talent of mine. So I'm not going to reveal it just yet because I do have a writer sitting beside me and I don't want to give her a head start just in case we are put together. But yeah. All right. So you're a newbie to this. Mm -hmm. Hannah, you have done this before and you've not only done it, you've done it before as a performer, which is what Michael is going to be and Angus is going to be this time. Angus Oak is going to be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to give him any tips. I'm just going to. Yes, you're going to be writing it. I'm going to be writing it this time. Okay, but tell us what happened when you took part in 2020. Um, so basically we all meet on uh, the Saturday we meet in a big group and that's all of the kind of facilitators the writers the actors the directors um, the assistant directors um, we all sit around in a big group and we we share those things that Michael said so it's you know you, you bring in your prop you bring in your costume piece what did you bring in? Since um, since Michael won't tell us what he's going to bring what in. Did I I know I, I remember I brought in a hot dog costume. That was my uh, costume bit. Uh, my special talent was uh, I was I was actually showing the guys outside. I can lick my own elbow. Oh, Which nice. you're okay. not supposed to be able we're, to do as a human. We're so. on live stream. If I you'd know. Like well. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you can't uh, mention it and not do it. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, when I'm talking radio, to Angus, you I'll can lick it. your own elbow. I'll look straight down the lens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I think uh, what I wanted to do on stage was. Um, I'd uh, I said something silly like uh, I wanted to stand on someone's shoulders and you know wear a trench coat to pretend I was a couple of kids in a trench coat or something like that. Anyway, we all share uh, those things, and then what happens is uh, the actors head off; they get sleep. The writers don't get any sleep. We go away. Um, we're paired with the director. 
And then we choose our cast. It's a cast of five. And then uh, the writers go away and write for that cast and are inspired by, you know, and some of those props or some of those prompts or the costume pieces. And they're free to know. choose what they want to pick exactly, uh, out, yeah. of, out of what the actors have brought. That's it. All right. Yeah. And that is your job this That's year because, job, because yeah. you are a writer mm-hmm. and, and, and a performer and you pr- perform your own work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so is it daunting though having and like, are you good on a on a quick I turnaround? Don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's <laughs> it's definitely daunting. Uh, I think you know what you just have to lean into, and something like that is the kind of madness of it. You know what I mean? And just go with the. I don't know, the mania that, that's going to come on you at 2am at some point and see what comes out of it, you know. Now, while everybe else can turn on the live stream or t.ie <laughs> forward slash arena to see Hannah lick her elbow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you have done this before. What was it like? This is my third round of the There she is going for it. Oh, it's very impressive. It's very impressive. <laughs> I think the elbow is worn away from her looking at you. <laughs> There's a definite hole in there now. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is my third roll of the dice with 24-hour plays. It's, I don't know how they've managed to convince me to say yes again because it is the most terrifying gig you can say yes to other than the fact that it's for such a good cause and supporting DYT, which I'm kind of passionate about for them. Um, so, yeah, I'm delighted to be back. It is absolutely terrifying, but the crack of being thrown into that room with, I, mean, I guess, the guts of a, a hundred theatre people people. Um, many of them I will have worked with before over the years. Many of them are entirely new. Uh, and the idea of the fun and the, the magic of that creative spark that can happen in that space under that like serious pressure, you know, there was like pressure makes diamonds. I think that's the hope that the time pressure of throwing all those talents together with a real willingness to just embrace it and go, right, let's see, let's roll the dice and see what happens. What kind of a script did you get? What was, what were the themes? And can you remember, did you have a lot of lines to learn? So I remember the fir- I did the very first incarnation of 24-hour plays and I was playing um, an expectant father in the delivery room waiting for word to come out on the birth of his child. And brilliantly, he was like entirely monosyllabic. So all I did was, yes, no, yes, no. <laughs> oh, I'd say the was, other actors loved you for that. I was, <laughs> I was so, listen, but playing to my strengths. Yeah. I was so, I was so delighted. And then last time around, it was quite, this kind of quite intense family drama. Um, but Ronan Phelan was directing, Ronan is a director who I really admire and has just the kind of slightly off-kilter view. So he goes, lads, let's play this as a Mexican soap opera, as a telenovela. And we went, yes, embraced it fully. So I was getting full uh, glasses of whiskey and thrown on my face by Simone Kirby uh, up there with Steve Murray and all the gang. We had a ball with it. So that's the, the joy of it is anything can happen and it will be a big mishmash because there's six different short plays with six different writers, six, six different directors. It, there's something there for everybody. I would always say it's probably the best night out in Irish theatre of the year. If you have someone who you want to bring out who maybe isn't a huge theatre fan, this is the one to roll the dice on because maybe if they don't like play number two, they'll love number three and number four or the musical guest will speak to them or just the overall experience because you feel them, you feel it's not quite tension in the room but you feel that electricity because it's that thing like an even, evil can evil stunt we hope it all goes well but kind of if it all crashes and burns that could be really entertaining too and, and that kind of magic is there And Hannah you're not afraid of giving up your script then to the, the actors and the director as Angus described there and they doing something completely you know unplanned with it No I think I think that's the great thing about it is that I mean you know first of all it's the same as anything you know that you do in the arts and whatever the, you, you kind of you're trusting your collaborators or you're trusting everyone and, and, and I do I think everyone who's, who's working on it is great and you know it, I, I would love that you know I'd love if I wrote something and they were like alright and it's going to be a Mexican telling of it like that's that's great I think it's you know you just want it to be fun I think and or certainly that would be my instinct is that you want to put on a good show you want people to have the crack. You want the audience to have the crack. You want it to be this kind of 
chaotic, you know, fun experience for everyone. So whatever, you know, goes into that, I, I don't think there's any point in being precious about any of it. You know what I mean? There's no point. You can't write anything that's worthy of being precious about yes. in a couple of hours. And now, Michael, you mentioned there when you said that this was new territory to you, that you come from the internet. Yeah. Explain how you come <laughs> from the internet. <laughs> yeah, so I, I started my career of sorts five years ago now and... Uh, no, six years ago in 2018, um, just putting up sketches and it's all done by myself uh, and I edit everything myself and and write and record everything myself. Um, so collaborating with people is like a new thing for me. Um, but yeah, I, I seem to blow up uh, in two different periods of so 2018 when they first started doing it and then during lockdown, everyone was on the internet. So and we were the only people kind of making new things because productions had shut down and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yes, I was watching some of your mm. skits today, if, mm. if I can call them skits. And you yeah. were, I think you were making fun of the use of we in uh, in in Northern Ireland, in Derry. Oh, about yes. the, You know, uh, he went shopping and looking for something we and then the shopkeeper was saying, how we do you want it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. You were in Coleraine at the time. I was, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was doing a grad program and kind of lost my mind a little bit because <laughs> I couldn't drive and I was very bored. So, um, yeah, I kind of uh, just started doing that out of pure madness and it seemed to just catch fire. So it was great. And how do you do that? Do you script it first? Or and then improvise around, or do you improvise, write the script, and then improvise around the script, or are you sticking strictly to the script? Oh no, I I usually improvise it because I want it to sound like a real person. Um, usually, and then but when you work with other people, you do larger productions, or you have other actors, you do need a script. Um, so I'm getting used to using those now. But if it's just me, I like to kind of run with it and see what comes out of me. Yeah, Hannah, I'm, the whole comedy scene is so based on improvisation, isn't it? Mm. Uh, is that very different? Then from theatre, I know there's whole schools of theatre that work around improvisation. Are you very much that school and the and the comedy school, or do you think there's much more integration between the two now? I think it's helpful to have a mix of all of us. You know what I mean? Because one thing informs another, informs another. You know, it, it can only um, make what you do richer to kind of have, you know, a grounding in all of them. So, you know, I I only would have started doing a, a bit of improv, you know, probably just before the pandemic. So, you know, about 2018, 2019, something like that. And I had never done that before. And then I found that, you know, I don't know, just even that skill of of starting, you know, from nothing and seeing what happens, because I think I would have come from a place of of needing a lot more control and having to like be in a scenario that I have that control and have written something and know exactly what I'm trying to say. But then adding a lot of those elements in, you know, it's just helpful. And I think it makes something better. And I actually think that's something that really um, helps with something like the 24 hour plays because you know you don't have time for something to be perfect mm-hmm. so you kind of do just have to go on the you know by the by the seat of your pants is that yeah. the saying? Yes. Yeah? yeah. Seat yeah. of your pants? I don't yeah. think it is. <laughs> <laughs> and is that what you enjoy about it as well Ingus? Is it a, a kind of freeing experience in comparison to getting a script and sticking to it? Yeah I mean I'm used to that kind of four or five weeks deep intense the first week you don't even get up from the table you're going oh is that a comma or a full stop is that a you know an ellipsis or whatever and the kind of the semantics of that so to try and kind of tear up the rule book a bit cut loose and go guess what like it's much more like you know live tv or whatever you're going to go out there you're going to see what happens um and i, I think the great thing about it is 
anyone who, who signs up to do the 24-hour place, you know you're checking your ego at the door. This is not about you. This is not about looking great. This is purely about how much fun can we have, how great a night can we put on for the audience, and, you know, and again, to, get, to, to nurture that support for DOIT and kind of get the sport out there. It's about embracing it fully and going, God knows where this is going to take us, but let's throw ourselves at it and, you know, fingers crossed we pull something ma- magic off. So, Ings, do you ever think about what your grandfather, Ray McAnally, might think of this kind of improvisation? You know, he, the, the great actor, and of course your mother, Billy, was, is also a, an actress. Do you, do you find the way theatre is now would be very at odds with the way they would have experienced theatre? Well, I mean, I look, I think about it a lot. My, my grandpa, Ray and Ronnie, met on the Abbey stage. My parents met on the Abbey stage. It's like Ronnie it's, Masterson, it's, yes. So it's, it's, it's a serious place for me. And I, and I kind of, I never take it for granted. You are pulling on the green jersey. It is the National Theatre. The, the stat I always tell people is there are more Olympic gold medalists than there are actors who have set foot on the Abbey stage. So it's a privilege to be there. And for a night as special as this, with such a big, talented group where you get to work with, as if, you know, like I'm, I'm holding myself in here, not going full fanboy on these two. I'm a massive Hannah fan and a massive Michael fan. So I'm, I'm trying to hold it all together. So I'm, I'm really excited by the, by the prospect of it. Uh, and yeah, I think, you know, a little bit of ingenuity, a little bit of freshness. I think both my parents and my grandparents would look at something like that and go, yeah, brilliant. Keep, I mean, they, look, they were all freelancers. They knew you had to keep the gig going, keep innovating, keep making work that put bums on seats as well. You know, there's no shame. I was talking to my dad the other day, but um, when my grandparents did Matchmaker and doing like 104% business, you know, and like that's that's the kind of business model I can aim for. Mm. So, uh, and fingers crossed, we'll be doing that kind of business for uh, for DYT in 24-hour plays now we get this on in the Abbey. Now, uh, DYT, it, it's in aid of DYT, Dublin Youth Theatre, which is um, a youth organisation, really, which is which uses theatre as a way of, of you know, integrating and making people have a, have a creative experience. You guys didn't go to Dublin Youth Theatre you went into you did train though in theatre um I I actually trained in I did a course for a year in in film acting that was kind of my jumping off point um I never actually I I lurked around Dramsock in UCD a lot that was my main my main grounding in in kind of theatre and and getting the buzz for it and and you know I'd, I'd still know a lot of people from that and a lot of them would still be working in the industry and I think that's what's really important about something like Dublin Youth Theatre is that there are so many people that I know that came up through Dublin Youth Theatre and are still working and still doing stuff. So it it seems to be like an incredible place that really nurtures and, and cultivates that, that love and, and, and shows you that it's something that's viable and you can do, you know, and I think that's really important. Yeah. You, Ingus, where... Yeah, that, I mean, that's the great thing about youth theatre. It's a big thing in, in helping young people find their tribe. And kind of go, oh, that's who I am. That's articulating something in me that makes sense. The things I didn't understand about myself, I can explore, examine or express uh, through this kind of stuff. And I think that's useful. But I think, And I think there's a two-track a two track thing. It's brilliant in that it gives young people their start into the business. I mean, I started working when I was only 15. But apart from that, what it does for people who don't end up as professional actors or writers or directors, who go off and sell insurance or, or, or work in an office somewhere, the, the team-building skills you learn, the interpersonal skills, the problem, the lateral thinking, it, it's, it enriches people for life. Youth theatre is a fantastic way to keep your kids off the streets, mm-hmm. uh, but also to, as I say, to enrich them and to give them a broad view of the world, uh, meet 
like-minded people meet people of totally different ends of the spectrum from them and uh, in, just invite them and introduce them into the world. Now you went down a more conventional line you would have done the Billy Barry school and then I, I came I came through uh, I came through the young as a young kid I came through the Gailey School of Acting uh, and also the Betty Ann Norton Theatre School and then went Betty. in and did formal um, kind of theatre training at the old Trinity course before it became the Lear that was that was my route into the business it was kind of a more conventional route alright um, which again which is why I love something like the 24 hour plays where you can completely rip it up and go and do it off in a totally new way What about you Michael? Yeah so I when I was uh, 15, 16 went to the Gaelic School of Acting like the weekend kind of course and I absolutely do agree with Angus and all those skills you learn and I was a very shy socially anxious kind of kid as well so it really helped me gain a bit of confidence uh, and also yeah meet people who uh, were like me and had similar interests so I, I think it's great what kind of uh, acting, you know, are you most drawn to? Is it now that you've had this internet um, mm-hmm. sensation, really, had such, a, you know, such success on the internet? Do you feel like going it alone and developing that kind of individual, uh, maybe comedy? Or would you like to work in more conventional theatre? I, th- I think I'd like to try everything. So I've, I've done the internet thing. I did a TV sketch show last year and I was on Dairy Girls like a sitcom or whatever I'd love to try some serious stuff I'd love to try everything and just see what that does for me and like as Hannah said it kind of it's helpful to have a grounding in everything because even in comedy if you're playing a straight man you have to act like a normal person or you might have to do something sad even though it could be about something ridiculous so it's all helpful uh, even if I do just pursue comedy And how did you find the experience of working on Dairy Girls? Great yeah it was a lot of fun and like big production and yeah dream come true and I'd love that show since it came out even so it was uh, really surreal to, to meet everybody on it and, and actually be in it for as long as I was you know. And uh, how is that very set to the script or was there any room for improvisation? That was very that? set to the script and I remember I, I did change a line at one point and they were like actually no it's this and I was like why do I think I know better than Lisa McGee? <laughs> I absolutely don't so it's kind of like actually fair you know so yeah. <laughs> and it must be slightly intimidating even mm. though the people would be of a similar age to yourself. Yeah. Uh, to going into this very young cast and mm. then uh, and and having having a role in that. Yeah, yeah. And particularly they're they're people who have come up through more traditional routes and things like that. So it was very kind of like, oh, I am should I be here? Am I actually good enough to be here? But it was fine. Nobody treated me any different. So it was all good. And you're going to be doing something on BBC Sounds. Yeah, yeah. I have a sketch show coming. It's lunchtime at Michael Fry. Uh, and I have... Oh, your, um, uh, your own name my own in name. the sketch show. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So it's the second sketch show I've done on BBC Sounds, actually. So this one's more linear. So I play a fictionalised version of myself as a radio host. And then we've kind of fake interviews and ads and musical guests at the end of each episode. So um, it, sh- it should be fun. It'll be out kind of uh, this half of this year, I would say. Right. And Hannah, you write your own work. Uh, what what projects have you coming up now? Um, or are I, you constantly writing? Yeah, do you, do you... I mean, that's definitely a part of it. I think you're kind of constantly just trying to churn stuff out and see what lands, you know. But I, I suppose I kind of work across, you know, both, um, you know, live performance and then uh, a bit of film as well. I did a short last year and that's kind of touring the circuit at the moment. And, and then I did a, a live show last year um, that will hopefully be back at some point it was this very year, good last year this year I don't know what year we're in now <laughs> um, so yeah you're kind of constantly just trying to do stuff you know I mean that's kind of the joy of it that you get to 
you know, jump around and try different things and do and do whatever interests you and see see what happens, you know. Yes, and Angus, you have your own uh, company. Yeah, the, the, the joy of it, because so much of it is out of your control as an actor, where you're just an actor for hire waiting for the, the phone to ring. So I have Rise Productions, which is my own theatre company. Um, and so we have a couple of things in development now. We're just waiting on word back from the Arts Council about a particular project. And that'll shape how the rest of this year then looks, whether uh, it's there. But it's, it's, it's nice to have that kind of additional string to your bow, because um, I'm kind of directing and producing now as well as acting. So kind of to have the, the freedom to jump between those uh, and kind of the licence to jump between them is, is really... Uh, I guess it's empowering the word. Am I, am I allowed to say empowering? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it feels it's like it's empowering. Well. <laughs> yeah, uh, kind of gives you a bit more agency over the career and it means you get to tell the stories you want to tell in the way you want to tell them, which is uh, a real luxury. So six plays, uh, do we know what duration they'll be? Is is there any fixed rules about the plays? Yeah, they're about 15 minutes, uh, I think, in and around. I, I, they always go over a little bit, don't they? Because people just love kind well, of chewing the scenery. Mil- yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> that's what happens. People get up and they're having so much fun fun, you know what I mean, that they always inevitably go a bit longer. But but that's what we're aiming for in terms of writing them is about 15 minutes. And there's music as well. Is there, there is music interludes yeah yeah. there's usually a special musical guest that'll come in and kind of do a bit maybe at the at the start of the first half and then after the interval as well just kind of to, to kind of enrich the evening break it up a bit kind of yeah. bring a bit, bit more magic it's, I always say it's a bit like um, a, a chef's tasting menu in a posh restaurant like have a bit of this have a taste of this it's like the sorbet you know, it's cleanse the sorbet. your palate well, you cleanse your palate you all seem so calm and relaxed <laughs> about it not a bit of terror <laughs> is being uh, emitted from you uh, is there terror a little bit, I think. Yeah. Abject terror, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, it'll come, it'll come, yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like a great night. My thanks to Michael Fry, Hannah Mamalus and Angus O. McAnally, who are all taking part in this year's annual 24-hour play, Festival in Aid of Dublin Youth Theatre, which will take place in the Abbey Theatre on Sunday the 14th of January. And you can find out more details about this event and booking information on abbeytheatre.ie. You're listening to Friday Night's Arena. Singer-songwriter Neve Regan embarks on a headline solo tour across Ireland this month. She has spent much of 2023 in the studio working on her next record. Neve's debut album, He Met, is in 2020, earned her nominations for both the RT Folk Awards and the Choice Awards Album of the Year. In recent months, Neve has popped up on stages at home and overseas. Sounds from a Safe Harbour Festival in Cork saw her collaborating with various artists, including Ye Vagabonds. She played Pack Festival Tents on a month-long tour of Australia in March, did a run of shows in intimate venues across Switzerland and opened for CMAT, Sarika Richards and John Grant and Soak across Ireland and the UK. I'm delighted to say Neve Regan has made room in her busy schedule to be with me here in studio this evening. Neve, you're so welcome. I can't believe you're going on another tour after such a year of touring. I know. It's it's lovely to be here, Kay. Thanks a million. Um, yeah, I'm very excited to go out on this solo tour in Ireland starting in February. So, yeah. So what was it like playing support for these acts, particularly CMAT? We we just had a chat about it earlier because she is having such a moment both nationally and internationally. Yeah. And you a solo, you play solo with your guitar <laughs> before coming and then you have the whole CMAT crowd there. I'd say that could be quite, a, you know, a, a challenge. Yeah, I guess it was daunting um, uh, coming up to it. I felt like I was a bit of a 
tall glass of water compared to CMAT. You know, I was kind of coming out there with my guitar and on my own, you know, not with the band or anything. Um, but it was actually one of the best musical experiences I've ever had, even though these stages were massive over in the UK. Like, um, she has an audience that are just so incredibly, um, they're just massive music lovers on top of just wanting a good time. But um, I've never had such, as a support act, I've never had such a nice crowd. And um, it was definitely... Uh, the highlight for my what year was it last year? Twenty twenty three. Right, and did did the CMAT audience were they open and receptive to yeah, you? Yeah, it was a beautiful crowd, honestly, and very mixed. And I think it just it's a testament to CMAT herself, as in what a great songwriter and performer she is. And I'm just so delighted that she had me along. She's very supportive of Irish music. Um, so yeah, now great. you're 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 currently working on or you have been working on your your next album yes. and your last album. I know I said you were singing, you know, with your guitar before the CMAT uh, show, but it, it, it was full of instrumentation. You had cello, violin, mandolin. Are we to expect the same in your new album? I guess for this next record that's coming out um, in the summer of this year, it's um, a little bit more um, indie, alternative, um, full band kind of sound but the song that I wanted to maybe share with you and which will be coming out in February um, the first single is called Madonna and it's actually very stripped back and just it, it's the opener of the album and it's just guitar and vocal. well we're delighted that you're going to share it with us and dying to hear it okay <laughs> Is it a thing? A Madonna horror complex Is it a thing? Found things to talk about My favourite season Your spot on the couch The food on the table The smell in the hall The video game you never got Found things to think about The perfume you got from me and your mom The love that never kept you safe Taxi asking you okay Found things to talk about Family, friends, beds and crowds Weather cheese, wholesome things Sport that seems to give people wings Some things to feel Angry at the appeal And no one looking a hurtful life Wrapped in wool, your mother's pride. You're too pretty for me to say, Shiver is dead. You're too pretty for me to say. A Madonna horror complex is it?
Madonna there from Leave Regan and, and this is going to be on your new it's the opening track on your album yes. is it the title track? It's not the title track no um, I'm not going to say the actual album title just in case I change it at the last minute. But, uh, so that's an intriguing song tell um, me about where it came from. Well it starts with a question and I kind of wanted to start the album with a question because I, um, I definitely struggled with this album as a second, you know, the difficult second album, as they all talk about it. Um, I, I was overthinking and didn't know where to begin. And, you know, you always begin with the questions. So, um, And I guess this song is a little bit different to how I'd normally approach songwriting, as it's om- it almost feels like, um, you know, a stream of consciousness. It's like there's a question and then, like, somebody going off into a tangent in their own head of what different things mean. And, and Madonna? What did Madonna mean to you? Well, it's a... God, I don't want to enter into territory that I don't know much about, but um, Madonna Horror Complex, and I think it's like a philosophy or like some sort of um, where it's like you can only see one, like your mum is one perfect thing and then another is a... Anyway, I'm not doing this a great service because I can't remember if it's Freud or someone. Like I am pure thick like with these things, but I heard it and I was like, is that a thing? I don't know. And then I just kind of went... Um, on a tangent and I guess it was kind of rooted in violence and you know particularly against women and it was like a response um, after watching the news one day and I literally it was the first time I wrote a song where I wrote the lyrics first and then put it to music so that's a very um, convoluted um, awkward way of explaining the song but yeah it, was, it starts with a well, question. Well I think I think we <laughs> I think we Got all that. I got an awful shock when she died. <laughs> oh, it's nothing to do with Madonna, um, no, as I in d- the, the singer. No, 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 no. I meant, I meant the character in oh. in, 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 <laughs> in, in your song. Oh. No, I, yes. Um, just in case <laughs> we confuse everybody. <laughs> so you, I, I, I know you've toured with a number and worked with a number of traditional music people in the last year. I mean, mm. you worked in the project in Cork that mm. um, uh, with Ye Vagabonds and f- the folk, the folk band Ye Vagabonds. Yeah. Is it, dif- it is difficult to pinhole what you do in that kind of folk or traditional or contemporary? Well, I guess that particular project was for Sounds from a Safe Harbour down in Cork, which is a festival which is kind of rooted again in collaboration and I was actually working with um, Talos and Oliver Arnolds in a room for a final show that you vagabonds were presenting in the Cork Opera House. So we were just kind of, you know, it, it, it's very hard to be defined by a genre. I think as long as you're up for making new music, you can work with anyone that like, be it like rock, trance, whatever, um, as long as you're just kind of down for making new music and... I and do you think like that the, your your it. your first album was such a success? It is this going to be quite different, or are those who who loved your first album going to say, "Oh yeah, yeah"? There's God, I wish I knew. Uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be so nervous if I knew how it was going to be received. But um, I think it's it's a little bit more confident in ways. You know, as as we all every year you you 
clock on, it's like you get a little bit more confident in yourself. And the production is, is a little bit different again, um, a little heavier. And um, yeah, it's a little... When you say a little heavier... Production-wise, as in um, it's full band, a lot of the first record was quite chilled and relaxed and paired back and piano and synths, and this is a lot more guitar-centred. Uh, and that's thanks to Tommy McLaughlin in Attica Records or Attica Studios. And, uh, and your yeah. tour then, who will you be touring with? So it'll be a bit of a wedding band job uh, for when the album is out. It's going to be whoever my friends are available at the time. Um, you know, it's uh, not always a glamorous business when you have schedules to contain with and everybody has very busy lives. But that'll be later on in the year. But for this tour um, that's coming up, in February, where I'll be hitting Leitrim and Wicklow and Galway and Dublin and all the and West Cork and Kinsale, um, it'll be very intimate and stripped back. And kind of the songs, I'm going to be presenting the new songs and the old songs, kind of, you know, solo. But it'll be, yeah, now where, the original. Now speaking <laughs> about the old songs, you're yeah. going to finish now with "Save the Day" from Hemet. You can have a drink of water there while you get ready for Mm -hmm. another song. Yeah, so this was the one song on the first album that had a big band sound. So here it it is uh, on my own. (laughs) What's the matter with the time I keep it running circles around me all day? Why can't I complete a task and feel good at the end of the day? Why don't you turn the TV off, go out and feel that sun on your face? I can't explain the lump in my chest that holds me down and pushes you away. And I told you I was doing just fine this way. There's no need to worry that way I'm doing it for you, doing it for the kids' sake I wish I could save the day What's the matter with mercy? It doesn't call around here no more No quick fixes knocking at your door No quick fix coming soon And I told you I would take what they told me to take Even if that means I can't feel my face I'm doing it for you, doing it for the kids' sake I wish I could save the day Told you I was doing fine this way Which superpower did you wish for before you started wishing you were dead? Why can't you remember the good old days? Why can't you remember me? The sting from the nettle, you let me nurse it with some dark leaves. And I wish that I could help you just like that today. 
heaven and said, I hold some faith. But some sadness just feels this way. When you lose sight of your fortune, when you lose sight of your fortune, though you eyes do Terrific. Neve Regan there, save the day. And Neve will start her tour in Leitrim on January the 27th and over the following month will be in Galway, Kilkenny, Cork, Limerick, Wicklow, Ballydehob, Kinsale and in the Unitarian Church in Dublin on March the 2nd. More details on Instagram at Neve Regan Music. Neve, thank you so much. Thank you. It started as a once-off mockumentary when the HBO executives behind its hit shows Seinfeld felt the writer of the series, Larry David, could be a hit in front of the camera. Larry David playing an ultra curmudgeonly version of himself, the least likely person on earth to let anyone, anything just go, became a TV sensation with his show Curb Your Enthusiasm. With the show, David gave viewers the vicarious pleasure of being mean, rude and cruel to complete strangers, new acquaintances and to his band of long-suffering friends. David has just announced that after 25 years, his long-running show will end after the next season. Dave Hanratty has been looking back at the show. I was looking at lots of it today, Dave. It's just so bold and yet such fun. It's been such a pleasure to revisit it, actually, because um, I, I was a huge Seinfeld fan. And once Seinfeld ended, I was like, well, how are we going to fill the void of this classic sitcom? And it turns out Larry David had this thing up his sleeve. And I remember buying the DVDs for the first few seasons when they came out and just being bowled over, just absolutely jaw on the floor with laughter. And it's so funny because, like, this thing follows kind of a non-formula. There's not really a plot here apart from Larry David will mess up his life in increasingly bizarre ways. It will always be his fault and he will always get his comeuppance. And it doesn't get old. Now, let's just play a clip that will give an example of it. We'll catch up with these characters in a moment. But in this clip, Larry is called, his wife was Cheryl and she is now his ex-wife because she's been long suffering. She's played by Cheryl Hines and she's staying in a hotel room with her new boyfriend played by Ted Danson, who plays a version of himself called Ted Danson. And uh, Larry comes to the door to borrow a toothbrush. Larry? What? What are you what doing is, here? What is this? Wait, what are you doing? Oh my. It's a sweet. You have a sweet. Yeah. It's unbelievable. You don't have a sweet? I've got a little box. Everybody has a better room than me. What are you doing? Everybody. Here? I, I, I was wondering if perhaps you had an extra toothbrush? No, I don't. Oh, Sorry. God. Can I use yours? No. Why? It's gross. We were married. I've used your toothbrush before. You've used mine. That was so long ago. Same mouth. The mouth is the same. I'd rather not. Look at the esteem that I hold your mouth in. It's, it's a compliment. Is it? Yes. I wouldn't use anybody else's toothbrush in the entire world. Nobody's. Okay. Except uh, yours. Please. 
be fast. Do it and go. Okay, you know, you're supposed to brush for two minutes, but I'm, I'm gonna shorten it just, just for you. Thank you. I'll take the floss to go. It's head. <laughs> oh, my God, look at you. I thought you weren't coming. No, I know, I know. I told him I had to be here. I didn't want you to be down here by yourself. I'm sorry, I have to go to the bathroom. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. No, wait, wait, Ted. What? <laughs> what are you doing? What the fuck? What's going on, man? Not, nothing going on. Nothing's not, going not on. The, nothing so, so. going on, okay? I, I didn't have a toothbrush. So Larry David and Ted Danson there and uh, Cheryl Hines plays Cheryl, his wife. So how did Larry David come into the whole comedy world? Give us a bit of background on Larry David first before we get into Curb yeah, uh, his enthusiasm. He worked a series of different jobs when he was younger. Like he, he worked in the shop. He was a historian at one stage. But eventually he kind of worked on a show uh, called Fridays, which was a comedy show. He was a late, like a late night kind of writer for that. From there, he gets into Saturday Night Live, which of course is the mecca of comedy at that time in kind of the, the uh, 70s, 80s. And he had problems on that show, though, because he was frustrated because essentially the sketches he was writing were deemed to be good enough to just get on the very end of the show like at 10 to 1 in the morning so that he maybe gets one sketch every now and then and he got really really mad at this you know he was kind of believed he was a a comic genius which he is and uh, the story goes at one stage that he actually quit his job in protest about this you know treatment he was getting only to kind of regret that decision a little bit later on and then a couple of days later just return to work as if nothing had happened and just pass it off yeah and, and here's the thing that that ends up being a Seinfeld plotline when that sitcom comes along for George, that character who was clearly based on the life of Larry David. Again, an exaggerated version thereof. But yeah, he cut his teeth as a stand-up comic and as a writer and just kind of climbed that ladder. And by the time the 90s roll around, he assembles this cast uh, alongside Jerry Seinfeld. They write Seinfeld together. Larry's on for seven of the nine seasons and acted occasionally. So at that point, he's pretty much had made his bones. He was known It was as... obviously a successful collaboration. Did they get on well? Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, like, when he left, I think it was just kind of time for him to leave. And people will tell you that the last two seasons of Seinfeld aren't as good as the preceding ones, which is true. They're still pretty good. But once the Larry David magic was gone, you could tell it was gone. They were a good kind of pair for each other. And of course, they would relink on Kirby Enthusiasm when there's an entire season dedicated to doing a reunion of Seinfeld. So, yeah, they're peas in a pod, those two. All right. So as I said, it was the HBO execs then thought that Larry might be good in front of camera. Mm. He did a mockumentary and that's kind of the basis of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, he had his arm twisted to do a one era special. He said he was going to get back into stand up or give it a go. And people were like, why don't you just film it? And he said, well, no, that'll be ridiculous. And they ended up kind of convincing him to do it. They loved the end results so much and it was so well received that uh, a deal was signed. A year later, uh, coming out in 2000 now, the first season of Curb Your Enthusiasm comes along taking that concept and the concept is uh, improvisational comedy with a kind of a group of core players Larry at the centre of everything and being the kind of agent of chaos who will ruin everyone's lives around them the clip you heard earlier on like you know you have to give credit to Cheryl Hines as his long suffering wife she's magnificent and I was watching like the audition tape that she did with Larry David and she just blew everyone else away she was given like a direction of you know okay Larry doesn't want to have chicken tonight and you guys are having a row go 
and she manages to keep up with him the whole way going across. And that's what the show is. Improvisational comedy can be a recipe for disaster because people can be, you know, they think they're hilarious and they just run away and there's no structure to it. But with Curb, somehow it always works. Yes, we were talking about the, the plight of the improvisational actor earlier with our young actors. And it, it, like how much of the episodes that we watch is improvisation? vast majority they say now I have to believe that there's some degree of structure to, in as much as you know Dave and Kay are going to walk into this room there's blue microphones go you know there has to be some level of something in there and of course it isn't live so they have the chance to screw up and do better versions of it but the vast majority appears to be you know, we're going to put Larry in a ridiculous situation and we're going to see what happens and like I love watching the episodes to try and spot the reactions of the cast and see if is Jeff Garland really laughing there is he breaking character but the situations are so mad Cap and Larry David is so ridiculous that it actually just all works into the setting. Yes, I think I think we identify with it because we see Larry David, you know, taking umbrage about everything, yeah. everything, you know, small little uh, things that make him uncomfortable. He will always vocalise he's upset. Yeah, he, he can't sit still at all. And the great thing, like, you know, it's not new to have this kind of idea of comedy where somebody will do something in the first few minutes of a thing and then by the last few minutes of the text it will come back to bite them that's not a new idea but Curb kind of perfected it it's a domino effect of of an avalanche always caused by Larry and it can be anything from you know seeing a shirt in a store that someone else is going for at the same time to the Ted Danson thing there now I should say he was right about Ted Danson he always thought that Ted Danson was going to make a move on his lady and that is what happens (laughs) so even through his foibles and his histrionics he does tend to have a point as well Now, let's go into, you said it is ensemble acting. So go through some of the characters. So Cheryl Hines, the aforementioned as his wife, Cheryl, her job largely is to kind of put up with the brunt of, you know, his lunacy, really. And she does so with this incredible, the way she says his name, like Larry, and like with this kind of hangdog expression on her face. She's a great foil for him. Uh, Jeff Garland, who plays his manager and best friend, is this larger than life, ridiculous character who's always the butt of the jokes, especially by his own wife, Susie, who is this incredible, force of nature this very vocal very angry lady who doesn't like her husband but despises Larry even more and then across the cast you get like the great uh, the late Bob Einstein as Marty Funkhauser who is this exceptional gravel voiced friend of Larry's and you also get celebrity after celebrity appearance over the course of the show you know you get like people playing themselves or you get them playing different characters and it was a project that attracted an awful lot of big names to it based on just how good and how sharp it was people wanted to be on this show Let's uh, listen to Larry's friend who you described there, Jeff, Jeff Gar- uh, played by Jeff Garland and his wife Susie, played by Susie Esman. They have a tumultuous relationship, as you described. And if she has a button to be pushed to go nuclear, Jeff knows where to find it. So they're at a dinner party, Jeff and his wife, and here they discuss the topic of divorce. And there's very bad language here. I got the sharpest Jewish divorce lawyer in town. He's terrific. You like Bert, I huh? I like him a lot, yeah. Oh, you know what? You and I ever split up? Let me tell you something. We get a divorce, 50-50, you take whatever 50% you want, I'll take what's left. No, no arguing, no negativity. What, are you fucking kidding me? You think we're going to have a nice divorce if we ever get divorced? No fucking way. I'm taking you for everything you have, mister. I'm taking your balls and I'm thumbtacking them to the wall. You're going to get nothing out of it. You mentioned the D word once in your fucking life to rue the day you ever met me. So Susie and Jeff there, no subtlety. <laughs> but they, I, I, 
obviously, uh, looking at this series now, 25 years later, there must be scenarios where you think that would not, you know, it, it's uncomfortable to watch in terms of uh, th- how women are portrayed. She is the shrew. He's not a nice guy because he just wants to have uh, extramarital affairs. Yeah. But there are, um, you know, some of the people are, are walking cliches. Oh, yeah, that's the point. They're all archetypes. It, it is knowingly ridiculous. It is kind of a slice of life, but also an unreality at the same time. And it's taking its cues very much from Seinfeld. And other shows like The Larry Sanders Show, which would have preceded this, where like these characters are all pretty hateful, really, when you break it down. Not a lot of heart to be found within them. And then you look at a show like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is still going, and that cranked that up to 12. It was like, we're going to make these characters even more despicable. I think people are attracted to that though because there's an escapist quality to it and you know it is a performance you know it's a pantomime and the Susie character yes she is shrew like in a way but she's one of the favourites people love that character because she doesn't put up with their crap at all and I must say coming back in off that clip was a, was a how do I follow this you know she's so sharp and so venomous but usually she wins the day um, it, then it attracted like Ted Danson and uh, Woody Harrelson later uh, t- tell us some of the other big stars and, and really interesting parts they get in it as well yeah so like Martin Scorsese shows up as himself as the famous director Martin Scorsese he actually casts Larry as an actor in one of his films with a bit part as a gangster and of course they clash basically every time a celebrity shows up in Curb Enthusiasm you know that Larry David is going to piss them off. That's just how it works. Christian Slater pops up at one stage. Uh, he gives out to him for taking too much caviar at a party. Shaquille O'Neal is in this. Larry goes to a game and accidentally trips him up, causing him you know, almost a season-ending injury. Uh, the list goes on. Um, there's also like a great turn from Michael J. Fox, who appears as himself. He plays Larry's upstairs neighbour. And he's very much playing into the real-life Michael J. Fox. You know, like The subject of his Parkinson's condition comes up, and Larry is typically insensitive about this, but it's all played for laughs, of course. And those two get into a feud so you just found A-list star after A-list star showing up in this thing because they knew they were in safe hands and that they would get to play as well with that improvisational nature and they could keep up with him. Uh, Let's listen to another clip. Uh, This is Larry and Jeff have met an inventor called Ira who is played by Scott Cohen. Uh, Being a superficial man both of them, both Larry and Jeff they um, admire Ira when they meet Ira's wife played by Julie Bowen because to them she's not very attractive so they think this means he must be authentic so let's listen to then later when Larry meets Ira and Rosa at the um, at, at the cinema all done? Uh, no I'm good thanks awesome. I can't wait to see this movie oh, it's going to be great mm. yeah. I'm looking forward to it yeah I'm using the bathroom before the movie Okay, I'll see you inside. Yep. I'll hold your popcorn. Ah, not necessary. No, it's no problem. You want me to go to the bathroom? I'll hold your popcorn for you. No, no, I'll, I'll just, I'll just take him to the bathroom. It's fine. You're gonna take your popcorn into the bathroom? That's no. disgusting. Don't leave your popcorn in the bathroom with people in the skivats and. No, 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 no. I hold on to it. I, I actually, I, I munch and pee. No, no, you can't. That's not, not your munch and pee. No, no, no. I, I, I like to munch and pee. Really? It's fine. Why don't you want me to hold the popcorn? Because obviously there's a problem there's with no holding problem. the popcorn. No, no, there's I, a little I, bit of a problem. It's, it's my popcorn. It's not necessary. You don't want me to hold the popcorn, Who right? Said because that? Why, you think I'm going to eat? You are popcorn? I eat my popcorn. Yes, I are you worried she's going to eat your popcorn? Are you crazy? I'm what? really uncomfortable with this. I'm really. This about? is my wife. Yes, Larry, I, yes, this is my I wife. Know. And you're accusing her. I don't think I could be in business with you. What? This is bad. This is this is really bad. You I can take nuts? a check. 
I'm a man of integrity. Yeah, I, I know, obviously. I mean, that's why we... Obviously? What's that? What the fuck does that mean? No, only that, you know, he's a great inventor and... Hold this. What the fuck does that mean? Wait, wait, wait. Oh, here, take the popcorn. Yeah, you can hold it. Hold it. Take, take the popcorn. Yeah, take it. Take, I don't want it. Take, take the... Larry does it again there with uh, Scott Cohen and Julie Bowen trying to make him into a human being. So we're going at the last season now. Has it has it remained this, the good standard that you've described uh, about Curb Your Enthusiasm? For the most part, I think it dipped a little bit in the mid-season runs where the jokes became a little bit cheaper and a bit more mean-spirited. And it is a mean-spirited show, but in a way that didn't quite set the tone. But it did take a break for a few years, came back and was kind of stronger than ever. And it has maintained that consistency for quite some time. The consistency is the shocking thing about this. You're essentially getting the same episode over and over again. But Larry is so good. You heard in his delivery there, you heard the music and the music in the show is... A, kind of a meme like in and of itself um, it's remarkable that it's gone for this long and been as good for this long and I think it's earned its place in the sunset so happy retirement to Larry David when it happens Yes because you can go down a rabbit hole on YouTube just watching oh, clips yeah. because like the clips we've played here they're almost a little piece of theatre in themselves 100% yeah So also Good news today at the Golden Globes. Dave, tell us about the three Irish nominations. Yeah, the Golden Globes are taking place this Sunday and it kind of marks the start of award season from the, you know, the big films point of view, moving into Oscar season as well. Colin Farrell was a victor last year. This year, if you look at the best performance by an actor in a dramatic motion picture, there are six nominees. Three of them are Irish, which is pretty good. Killian Murphy's up there for Oppenheimer, Andrew Scott for All of Us Strangers and Barry Keoghan for Saltburn. So on Sunday, we're going to be wondering, are we going to see an Irish guy take home the Golden Globe much like we did last year with Colin Farrell and what will this mean for the Oscar run um, I find myself really hoping that Killian Murphy will do it for Oppenheimer and I hope he will go on to steal the entire season he's so good in that film I think it's a great great performance I think it's a great movie but I must say I am fearing Bradley Cooper in Maestro I've got a feeling that he's got the kind of the awards heft going in I think he kind of wants it more this thing isn't as much about campaigning as it is about the performance and Killian Murphy is a notoriously humble man I wonder how Hollywood will, will react and this Sunday will give us an example of what we can expect in the weeks to come so it is great for Ireland again on the world stage we saw last year with Banshees of Inishirin as well but it's nice to have a kind of a different mix and I wouldn't really let Andrew Scott either he's getting a lot of critical notice for all of us strangers and by what by what all accounts is one of his best performances Yes that's only coming in the next f- few weeks yeah. and, and that also has Paul Meskell mm-hmm. in the cast so there might be a potential that he would get um, a supporting, supporting actor nominated Yeah I mean it's, it's weird I mean like, like you kind of find yourself in these positions where you're always like talking about how well Ireland is doing like th- that it becomes old hat but like the performances that most of these actors have been putting in in recent years genuinely are some of the best we've seen in a long time I think in the case of Killian Murphy for example like it would be a reward so to speak for all the work he's done in the years quietly in the background we've always known how, how incredible an actor he is and in Oppenheimer it was all on him it was all on his shoulders to be the guy he's surrounded by so many supporting actors but he was the main man for three hours and I really hope that on Sunday he's holding some yeah, gold and Barry Keoghan I've never heard so much talk all over Christmas about Saltburn it's so such much a, buzz yeah. it's such a zeitgeist <laughs> film for for all ages, isn't it? All ages, uh, one for all the family, not really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not one for all the family, but definitely one to talk about. Dave Hanretti, thank you very much. That's it for tonight's show. The programme was researched by Paula Shields and Niall Fitzmaurice. James Feeney was on sound. Ollie Hamilton was the broadcast coordinator. Tonight's show was produced by Reg Luby and John Creedon is up next after the news.